Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for being here with us. This week, we're back with our documentary strand source material, looking at some of the stories and people at the forefront of innovation in the electronic music world. RA's city manager for Glasgow, Rose Manson, is your guide today. Rose has been looking into new and sustainable ways of keeping the art of promoting alive. Even in the face of all the challenges and financial constraints young promoters are facing at this moment in time. Here's Rose. This podcast is about trying to find sustainable methods of promotion that help protect low-income promoters. The role of the promoter is often overlooked, often overshadowed by the DJ, or often wrongly linked to someone who is making a lot of money. I'm Rose and I live in Glasgow, and we're dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, cost of living crisis, and now a fuel crisis. How can we preserve a culture that allows people on low incomes to become promoters and run event spaces? I speak to two promoters here who are doing things a little bit differently, and I also chat to others outside of Glasgow who are facing similar issues. This is in no way a definitive global list, but a jumping off point from here in Scotland. So I spoke to Han Reid, who runs Events Research Programme here in Glasgow, a monthly night that puts on a massive range of electronic artists and DJs. The night runs with a Patreon membership, where members can pay £3.50 a month and this gains them access to all the events, whether they can make it or not. During the pandemic, or towards the end of it, the government actually had a scheme called Events Research Programme, where they put on that massive club night in Liverpool. And there were other things, I think there was like darts and basically loads of there's like a whole website like government website for it and I just thought that the name events research program was like the coldest thing I thought it was amazing so I think I made some stupid tweet being like can't wait to start a club night called events research program it actually makes it quite easy for me to explore what I want to do because I can just I genuinely treat it in my mind as research just it's like a nominative determinism thing where like it makes me be more experimental because it's called something kind of experimental right and how did you come up with the idea of the patreon what was interesting to me was when I put on the no home gig and I did pre-sales I think generally my club nights and stuff I haven't used pre-sales that much but for the gig I did and then loads of people paid and then didn't show up so I was like oh interesting like I've actually made back a bit of money from people who didn't come um, and that was something that it, w- it was it was nicely attended. Don't get me wrong, but there were I you know there was maybe fifty quid or so worth of tickets where people didn't end up showing because they couldn't make it on the night, but they'd already bought the ticket and maybe forgot or something like this. So I kind of thought, okay, there's a market in people who aren't going to come for the gig who might actually pay for it anyway. I suppose in terms of music and events, I'd seen Helena Sell, um, Kay Logan. She has a Patreon where people sign up and they get recordings from her every month. It was definitely an inspiration. Um, I also knew, I'm sure, again, other club nights, but I knew that um, Swingting had done it in um, Manchester for a bit. And yeah, so I think the combination of the two of those, I thought, okay, why not? And I looked into the Patreon thing. And again, in terms of building like a building an audience, building a regularity thing, I felt like... This £3.50 membership thing, if people had already paid, if people were signing up anyway and it was coming out of their bank like a, you know, a direct debit, then they'd be more inclined to come down. And anyone who had the membership, you'd see the same faces and it would naturally build a kind of community. 
it's not that people are, are paying 350 to come to the gig, they're paying 350 to support the fact that the gig can happen. The membership has led to a steady stream of financial support for the night, and it shifted how I view the work of the promoter, more of a creative and crucial role that deserves a bit more support in our scene. I think for me, the Patreons work really well. It's definitely formed. I can I can see that it's forming a community. I can see that it's making gigs accessible and cheap um, to people. And I can see that, at least on the last two, I haven't lost any money. Um, I lost money on the first couple, um, which felt like something I had to do in order to build up the membership. But I haven't lost any money on the last two. Um, and I've been able to, yeah, pay my friends to perform. And it's been really nice. It keeps it cheap for, like, you and me. So it keeps it cheap for the people coming and it keeps it cheap for me putting it on. I think that's, like, quite an interesting, um, like, or positive benefit to it. But what about if losing money on your first night isn't an option either? I spoke to Shauna Milligan, who's just started her night fat at Bonjour in Glasgow. Hello, my name is Shauna Milligan and I am a trans feminine DJ from the Highlands of Scotland. Um, I now reside in Glasgow as well. So as COVID started, I guess, to relax and events started happening, um, I was just like always really interested in the idea of putting on a night. Um, with a focus on kind of fat bodies and that had always been in the back of my mind wasn't really sure how I would do that facilitate that or where that would kind of start in any way so in 2021 a new registered co-op and not-for-profit queer bar called Bonjour opened in Glasgow's salt market and Shauna chatted about how they were able to support her night there was a lot of stuff involved with Bonjour um, and being quite good friends with a lot of the people on the committee that was really um helpful into i guess questions i had about putting on a night and um, again the, the logistics of it funding wise how that would work as well um and just any kind of questions that i had they were like super happy to answer um when i pitched idea they were very keen just to kind of talk me through it because it's like also like a non-profit um, organization as well. Like they kind of sat me down and discussed like how funding would work and, and things like that. So they were very just open and ready to kind of embrace the ideas that I had. And that was, that was super supportive. Bonjour is helping with the financial risk for you by like sharing knowledge, which is super mm-hmm. important. And is you know, one of the things that like, creates so much inequality um so they support you by sharing that knowledge but do they support their promoters with financial risk in any other way um so it was they had told me that um a lot of the funding that they get is from creative scotland Mm -hmm. so that was kind of just how they had like fully supported i guess all aspects of my night personally and in terms of like uh, anything that I need covered so they, they were kind of in a position where they were able to pay for fees of artists performing and they were able to pay for I had um one of my artists from Bristol so they were mm-hmm. able to fully cover that as well because they had had support from Creative Scotland then they were able again to be transparent with me of what that they had kind of 
guess the ins and outs of that and what they were able to support me with like it just it just took a lot of weight off my shoulders as well which I was really thankful for because they were so open and transparent about what they were able to to help me with yeah Um, incredible I wouldn't have been able to I think have it be so successful if it wasn't Mm -hmm. for their support going forward for the next night that I put on I just know a lot more of how to actually do that and not that I made um, I guess really any like major mistakes but there was definitely things that I you know it's all about like critical thinking and what you can do going forward next time just to make things you know run smoother and just what can I do next time just to make it even that bit better than the last time yeah Um, I think it's so nice that they they've given you an opportunity to learn and train and like it's like such a huge financial risk Mm -hmm. and first party you throw is the first party you throw you're not even really learning how to do it yet and it's incredible to hear that they're able to give opportunities for like promoters to learn on their feet push great ideas and great parties and at the same time not have to like financially take that risk um it's great yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so to me government funding being funneled towards independent promoters like shauna is some kind of utopia but I'm aware that this is a pretty rare case. But I wanted to talk to others who are trying to create similar spaces like Bonjour, where low-income promoters can find their feet without having to break the bank. So I heard from Alan Huang, an independent promoter in Taipei, Taiwan, who is now music director of a mid-sized venue called 23 Music Room. I guess, is there anything at your role at 23 that you can maybe pinpoint as like, quick or easy things that you've been doing in your role that you are hoping are helping low-income promoters come through and start parties? Well, uh, I think it's like our focus, my focus at 23 has been to make sure that 23 doesn't throw its own parties and that we do have a promoter kind of organizing that. And I think a lot of the work I've been doing in that front is just kind of informing people. Most, Most people have like pretty good like ideas of what they want to do as far as like, oh, we need a promotion plan. Oh, we need flyers. Oh, we need all this. So they get that all done. And it's just like the details of like how to set this up or how to do that or how to launch a campaign or how to use the Facebook messaging schedule or how to make IG sponsored posts. Just like the small things that no one ever tells you that I've done thousands of times and that a lot of promoters have done thousands of times. But, you know, there's always this like, if you ever ask an old promoter how to do something, they're probably not going to, they're like, why I don't have time to tell you any of this. Right. But I'm giving my time to tell everybody who comes to 23 to do this. Cause I think there needs to be more people who know this kind of stuff. And 23 music room isn't your traditional club space. 23 music room is uh, owned by a brewery and they have like multiple uh, spots in the city where they do their just normal brewery stuff. And so, we're our finances aren't tied completely to the success of our shows like you know it's about how much beer they sell and stuff so even on bad months which currently haven't been occurring which thankfully but even on bad months uh we aren't like immediately under threat of going down and which is what you can't you can't say that about a lot of music venues so considering that safety we have in our business structure i'm using that to just kind of bolster the next the next wave of young promoters and people want to throw parties to redo. It seems to be like this next wave of promoters 
across like most scenes right now are really focusing on throwing parties in non-traditional clubs part of venues that have that like, extra element of financial security almost yeah i think there's also just a sense of like the old club structure being very full of a lot of problem problems like you know whether they be uh racial or or gender-based or financial-based or just like you know you don't know where your money goes to i don't know the, the old club structure is very unappealing i think to a lot of young people and personally i've always had like kind of like an issue with it like i understand it i understand how like nightlife is fueled by sales of alcohol and stuff but it's never been like an appeal to me uh mm-hmm. personally and just i've tried to throw also when i was younger throwing stuff in like non non-traditional spaces or like all ages venues that I would like try to turn into like a club type situation or something like that. And so I spoke to Steve Noah, our own resident advisor city manager for Chicago, a part-time role that supports the local scene. Steve co-promotes a party called Night Logistics and he explained a similar sentiment when it came to where low-income promoters were starting. He explained being priced out of clubs alongside the huge risks of DIY parties. It's almost like promoters are being squeezed out of everything. (laughs) (laughs) They're being squeezed squeezed out of like expensive official clubs and they're being squeezed out of like DIY space. And essentially Mm. it's just a back and forth between. Very much (laughs) between two difficult and movable forces. Yes, uh, absolutely. There's, um, been power structures in Chicago for a very long time that kind of keep things the status of the way it is. Um, uh, in many regards, you know, the, the factors of, you know, again, a big part is the large mounted risk that comes with uh, the laws of the Rave Act. And then also, yeah, just that what that begets is just, you know, the budgetary concerns and, you know, the um, risk of liability. And Steve is actually pretty optimistic and he describes a scene based on borrowing, sharing and keeping costs low together. You know, yeah. just yeah. it's like, you know, you have a sound system. I know some DJs, um, um, you know, I have some friends that like have a connection to a to a space like or you know or maybe selling some land or something and whilst i can't really relate to selling land here in glasgow from everyone i've spoken to for this podcast there seems to be some common understanding that to put on cheap parties you have to rely on the community around you and when i hear about new promoters coming through rejecting traditional club space I feel like your mind can quickly jump to illegal venues or romanticised 90s raves. But I think we're in a very different era now, one of reducing risk. We're in the era of co-ops, bowling clubs, dive bars and breweries putting on some of the most exciting parties. I think as like things get tougher in time and more of this kind of like behaviour gets exposed, that's like kind of the general feel. It's like, oh, legacy venue that's been around forever, but treats people like crap. Like, okay, go away. We're ready for you to go away now. Mm-hmm. And it's like COVID it definitely has played a big thing in that. And that we've lived a long time without having any of this. And now we're coming back. It's like, why do I want to go back to this like awfulness when I could just like work with these new people? And I think Alan is right. 
Let's not go back to the old ways of promoting with huge overhead costs and huge risk value. Let's keep sharing info in our communities and let's lose less money. Because the less risk there is, the more people can throw the types of parties that they want to see. So maybe start a membership in your city, find your new unexpected dance floor, apply for that government funding, or just find your crew. And let us know if you come up with something better. There's a hunger for it. We all want to do it. Why don't we just do it right this time? contributors on today's episode and thank you for listening to the RA Exchange. This episode was produced by Rose Manson. You can browse our full archive on your favourite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe to the Exchange to receive updates from us and if you love the show please do leave us a rating and a review as it helps get our stories to more ears. Until next time, take care.